Welcome to Women Unfiltered, a podcast empowering women to step into their authentic selves every damn day. I'm Lynn Calloway, an entrepreneur, wife, mother, and a woman in tech. And I'm Brie Griebel, a rescue mom, health and wellness enthusiast, musician, and also a woman in tech. Join us on this journey as we navigate our friendship, identity, and differences and challenge you to do the same. Welcome to another episode of Women Unfiltered. We are so excited today because we have a guest, our first guest. First guest. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So excited. Joining us is Trina Hill. Trina is someone that is near and dear to my heart. She has been a mentor for me and others. She is a tech executive, specifically a fintech executive. She's actually been working in tech for, gosh, for a very long time. I would like to say one of the OGs in the industry when it comes to (laughs) to the industry. And so she's going to be sharing her experiences today and just talking it through in terms of what it's like being a woman working in tech and being a woman of color. I've been specifically being an African-American woman of color working in this industry and just how she's balancing it all. Yeah, we just, we want to get into it. So welcome, Trina. Thank you for having me, Bree and Lynn. I am so excited to be with you today. Uh, I I love what you guys are doing with your podcast and the vision. So I am excited and honored to be your first guest. Yes, we're honored to have you. I am so stoked for this episode. I I just, I'm excited to learn from you and and be inspired. And I think it's really gonna inspire a lot of other women. So yeah, thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Trina wears so many different hats. So Trina, if you can give us, you know, kind of a brief, history or her story, I should say, of just your experience, your journey and what you're up to these days. Yeah. So, so thanks, Lynn. Um, look, I, I, I believe in one, one of my taglines that I just, I live by is you're more than the seat you occupy. I think as women, oftentimes we are defined by the one role that we view ourselves in or, or the one that we are quote unquote occupying at, at that given time. And we are multifaceted, right? We're not just one thing. And so when I think about my career, my walk, my purpose, um, I, I, I look at myself in many different seats, right? So yes, you know, Kiera is correct. I'm sorry, Lynn is correct. Kiera is my first name, but I do go by Lynn, which is my middle name. And I have my entire professional career, but Trina, Trina is family. So not too many people know me as Kiera, but it's all good. We're going to keep going with it. Yeah, but so, you know, 20 years, over 20 years in technology, um, I've worked for, you know, that seat, the the technology leader seat. Um, I've been in that seat for over 20 years. I've worked for at least, I think, five or six or to 100 companies. And, and look, being a woman, number one in technology is not an easy road, but being a Black woman in technology living in the South has definitely been, you know, a different type of journey. I, I wouldn't trade it for anything because I think that that also has helped me in some of the other seats that I occupy. So in addition to being a tech executive, I'm also a mother um, of a 16-year-old son. I am married. I've been married for over 20 years now. I also am in this season of life where I have aging parents. So I also sit in the seat of caretaker and I would say healthcare advisor (laughs) at times. I love mentoring and coaching people. And then I also have my own coaching and consulting business, called TLH Consulting, where I primarily focus on small businesses to really help them figure out how do they how do they maximize and optimize their business. Spend a lot of time with women, right? A lot of times, you know, as women, we are attracted to other women. And 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 so it's it's always a pleasure when I can find some women that have their own businesses and I can just pour into them. And as I'm pouring into them, they're pouring into me. So I have a lot of different seats that I sit in um, and those seats change uh, from 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 time to time. This last year in 2020, um, I was able to sit in the seat of author. So I wrote my first book that's called Be Quiet and Pray. And it's a devotional that was really focused on um, just some prayers and some some reflections just for COVID. Right. We were in a new place. And so, you know, I am a woman of faith and through instruction, I, I decided to take the leap of faith and write my first book. So that's, that's a awesome. little bit about me. <laughs> yes. And so inspiring. Very busy woman. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. A very busy woman. Like, wow. like, how do you do it all? Yeah. Um, yeah. When people are like, 
oh, I don't have the time. I'm like, y'all need to talk to Tree Hill. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. And like you said, it shifts in terms of like which hat you're kind of wearing and, and, and it ebbs and flows with life. But very awesome. And I know we talk, like even in our personal conversations, we talk a lot about like, yeah, work-life balance. And like, mm-hmm. how are you doing it all? And I know you like to talk about putting systems in place and things like that. And maybe that those are things that have assisted you, but would you like to talk more about how are you making it work? <laughs> yeah. You know, this concept, and we hear this phrase around work-life balance, right? And, and when we think of balance, we think 50-50. <laughs> The reality is that does that's not realistic. I, I think what we have is work-life prioritization. So instead of you know us feeling like we have to be balanced, quote unquote, everywhere, I think there has been a shift. You know, and I've had to shift right as as I've gotten older and, and different life events have come where I've really had to say what's the priority and be willing to advocate right for that. Right. So for instance, you know, last year. And then here, I'll definitely talk about some systems I put into place. Last year, my mother uh, had a medical situation. Again, we were in the midst of COVID. I was not you know, comfortable putting her in a personal care home. She she broken her foot and could not take care of herself. And so, you know, my husband, myself and my son, we made a decision to move her into our home. My full-time job did not stop homeschooling, if you will, with, with my son being remote, did not stop trying to find toilet paper and tissue <laughs> and wipes, right? And the things that everybody else was looking for, those things didn't stop. But but what I had to do is say, you know what, with her coming into the home, there's a shift that has to happen. So there are some meetings where I would normally be on video. I'm not going to be on video with those meetings because I need to prepare food for my mother. There are going to be some meetings where I won't be able to sit in front of a computer. I need to drive her to physical therapy or get her to a doctor, right? And so what I had to do, and I think as women, a lot of times we don't ask for what we need. I I had a, a con- conversation with my leader and said, look, here's this situation that's happened in my life. Here's how I need to adjust. I'm still going to perform. I'm still going to do what I need to do but I need flexibility because the house has changed, right? My normal way of working has changed. And so I think, you know, when we think about work-life balance in that situation, there was no balance, but it was a reprioritization of where I was going to spend my time. And even quite frankly, setting the stage for how I was going to spend my time and how I was going to work differently. There were meetings that I needed to, you know, decide, Hey, I'm not going to show up to that meeting. I have people who work for me. They can take care of that. If they need something, they can call me. Right. I don't have to be everywhere. I just need to be where I'm supposed to be. That's such a really good way of putting that. Because, yeah, we we do always think of it like it has to be kind of like the scale, right? Mm -hmm. Like it has to be perfect in terms of how we're balancing it. And I think sometimes that word can be overly used um, Mm -hmm. in the sense of it just really not being realistic. So I'm glad that you pointed that out. Yeah. I mean, I agree. It's like own your own your day, own your schedule mm-hmm. and block out those times that you you need. And that's something it doesn't come naturally at first. I think especially if you're newer in your career, mm-hmm. you're like, I have to be everywhere. They're asking me to do this mm-hmm. and this and it's harder to push back. But as you grow and level up in your career and you are in those management team lead positions, whatever the case may be, it you just have to. Right. If you <laughs> and I think hearing that from an executive at a fintech company is important for others to to hear mm-hmm. so that they can feel comfortable in in those boundaries and setting them. Absolutely. And and also just adding to the first part like especially when you start to have kids there's you can't plan for that. Mm-hmm. It's going to be something whether they're sick or they there's an appointment or you know with you know your son he plays sports. Mhm. So, you know, you got to take them to sports and just school and things like that. So you, there's just no way to really properly plan for those things. But yeah, prioritization is important. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. And, and I think this is probably even more important right now. You know, as I was looking at reading an article the other day about women leaving corporate right in droves because a lot of times all of you know a lot of the the lift at the house with the kids being home and cooking and a number of things that have to be done at the house you know, the women are the ones that are doing it, right? And we see that, 
you know, probably even more so in our in, in the black and brown community, I will just say that, right? Because oftentimes if we're the ones that have quote unquote made it or we sometimes are the breadwinners, it is hard to balance. And there's this pressure that society kind of puts on us. It's an unwritten pressure um, that, you know, they put on us. And then also we take that says we have to be everything to everyone all the time. And we always have to get an A. And as we are all journeying through this new year, I think what we have to do is define success for ourselves and what good enough looks like, right? So there are times where, and I'm type A, (laughs) um, you know, there are times where I want it to be quote unquote excellent. I have always been that way, even as a young girl, I wanted to get an A, right, in everything. And as you continue to grow, because this is not even about title, it's just about growth and maturity, it's okay to get a C at some things. You just have to be mm-hmm. discerning about the things you need to get an A at, right? So for instance, I want to get an A being a mother because I only get one shot, right? My son, when he turns mm-hmm. 18 and and goes off to college and then he, you know, but I can only be his parent once. Um, so there are some times where, you know what, I might need to take a C on some projects or I might need to say, you know what, I'm not going to even take on that project because I don't have the capacity to be able to give that the level that's expected or the level that I expect. And so I think as women, we need to take a step back and say, what is good for us? Not what our mothers told us, not what our fathers told us, not what society expects of us, but what is good for us? And that good will give you peace so that you won't feel overwhelmed and completely stressed out. We have to reset the standard and no one can do that for us. Um, we have to teach people how to treat us. Right. I think, Bree, you talked mm-hmm. about being earlier in career. Preach. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, early in my career, I would take on stuff. And I'm not. Listen, I th- there there are times where you definitely have to say yes. But when before you say yes, it is OK for you to take a step back and think about your yes. Um, as I've matured, I am much more discerning about my yes, and I'm more definite about my no. And it's not a no in a disrespectful manner, but it's a no, and here's why, or it's a no, and here's another person that I think would be great to sit in this seat. So you're offering a chair for me at a table, and that's awesome. I appreciate it. But then for me to say, you know what, I don't have the capacity to do this extra thing they're asking me to do, whether it's personal or even professionally. Who else can I delegate to? Which goes back to, you know, the comment that, that Lynn talked about systems. We, we can control the system instead of us being the hands. I always say shift from being the hands to being the head. Um, when you are the hands, you're working on the thing. When you're the head, you should have a vision of whatever it is you're trying to accomplish and figuring out what processes you can put in place to help you execute, what people you can put in place to help you execute. And even as you are looking at that vision, you can figure out, should you be the person that should be doing this at all? If there is no value for you, then what is the purpose? And the value may not be money, right? It may not be tied to money. It may be tied to, you know what? I see Bree and I really just want to help her. There is there's a spark in her and I'm just excited to help her. The, that's value to me. But I'm not going to help Bree if Bree is working on something that doesn't align with my values that's going to compromise my integrity. And even though she probably would bring me 10,000 followers, if I engage with her, I am not willing to spend my time and energy to do that because it doesn't align with my core values and what's important to me. So it is okay to say no, but understand what you're, why you're saying no. Mm-hmm. And if it's an opportunity that works for someone else, always have three to four people in the back of your mind that you can give them that seat. You don't have to sit in every seat that's offered to you. Sometimes it's not for you to sit in the seat. It's for you to bring another woman along or even another man along to sit in that seat. Do you feel like other executives in the fintech world or just tech industry in general have been supportive, especially male counterparts? I know you talked about kind of we set our own standards and like Mm -hmm. paving a new path in terms of that. Do you feel like they've been okay with it? Or have you gotten pushback along the way? Like, how have you adjusted in that sense? Because I feel like that can be an interesting dynamic, especially if it is a room full of white males, you know, it's, it's, 
Yeah. So, so what I'll, what I'll tell you earlier in my career, I didn't feel as comfortable with being as probably as direct as I am right now, because I just, I know more of myself. The older you get, the more you become who you really are. And the more you're more comfortable with who you are and you're more comfortable as well as wise when it comes to the decisions you make and your acceptance of, of those consequences that come with it, whether they be good consequences or bad. But what I'll tell you earlier in my career, I really was intentional about surrounding myself with leaders that would pour into me, mentor me, coach me, check me. And so when these life things came up, I could go to them and I didn't have to filter per se, right? Some of those relationships I didn't have to filter. So I could just say it like I, I needed to say it. And then they could give me advice. They could advise me on how do I approach the conversation so that I can get what I need. You know, I think earlier in your career, your expectation is that your leader knows everything. And oftentimes we are looking at them as titles versus people, which is normal because you're so young and you don't know, right? You just don't have the experience. But when you find some good people around you, they can help coach you through that. So I'll say kind of early on, I had people to, to, to pro provide me a roadmap, if you will, to help me. Now it's more about, I know my worth. Um, and I also am comfortable with the consequences, good or bad. And then another thing that I think has been just extremely important for me throughout my career is I am great with relationships. And that has been the key thing that's helped me probably stay in tech is I have the ability uh, to connect with people. I'm curious about people. I love people. Like I want you to succeed in whatever success looks like for you. So I, I didn't approach every job or every project or even every conversation just about getting what I wanted. I really wanted to get to know the people. And what I found is once I'm, I'm once I get to know you and you get to know me, I feel more comfortable having an honest conversation. You feel more comfortable having an honest conversation because then it's not about my title or it's not about the quote unquote seat I sit in for the company, but it's really about the relationship, right? They know, you know, I even say early in my career, I was the quote unquote black girl in the room. Now, right, once you develop the relationships, I'm Trina who's in the room. And the color of my skin or where I live or the Southern twang is not a liability, but it is indeed an asset because it is just a part of who I am. And so I think, you know, you will grow in the more, again, as I said before, the more and more you grow, the more things happen to you, you become more comfortable and more confident in who you are. But I do think it's very important for you to develop relationships with people. Because a lot of times as women, again, we're thinking that people won't accept what we're offering because we don't we don't talk to them. <laughs> There's this narrative, right, that that's playing in the back of our heads about what they will do, what they won't do. Well, you never asked and you never developed a relationship because guess what? Your boss, who may be a male or the men that are in the room with me, some of them may be single parents who are taking care of children. Some of them may be taking care of their aging parents. They are going through life just like we're going through life. But how do I know that if I don't have a conversation? Yeah. Well put. <laughs> right? I'm like, it's that just, was she's solid. Just dropping, <laughs> she's just dropping gems left and right. Just like, I mean, if you guys aren't thinking notes by now, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Ready for it? I've got so, I'm like typing notes up too as you're talking. I've got so many awesome quotes to, <laughs> to use. Just, uh, it's amazing. And we're not even halfway through. So. To kind of pivot, I had a question come up because I was recently looking at MBA programs mm -hmm. and I know you got your MBA. Did you have a specific focus in terms of what you went for? When did you get it? Do you recommend in terms of like being in the tech industry and you wanting to grow into a leadership position? Is that a, a, a title that is sought after or like looked for in terms of growth? Yeah. Um, so Brie, you know, actually that's a great question. You know, let me say this. Um, I think there is a perception that it, when you are, you know, growing in your career in tech that you are, you know, coding <laughs> or really focusing on systems engineering and things of that nature. So for me, 
early on, uh, my undergrad is in MIS, Management Information Systems, and I went to the University of Georgia. And MIS actually sits in the business school. There is a computer science degree at the time that was more technical that sit in the school of science. So for me, early on, I recognize that there are two tracks in technology. There is your technical track, and then there's what I'm going to call your management track, right? Your technical track is really going to focus on technology, right? Your coding, your systems engineering, you know, your 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 architects um, and, and things of that nature. I knew early on that wasn't me. I was, you know, I, I, I would light up when we did projects and I was the project manager, program manager, and I love people and developing people. So I knew early on, even in undergrad, that I probably was going to go the management route. I needed to understand technology. I can code, but that doesn't wake me up in the morning, right? I am very social. And again, I like to be around people. So me sitting at a keyboard and coding all day was not going to work for me. So the MBA, because I wanted to go the management track, it did a couple of things for me. Number one, during that time when I got the MBA, uh, as I was working, I think I was, I was at working at IBM, I didn't want to put myself in a position where an MBA would stop me from getting a role, right? So when these companies are listing jobs, they will list, you know, MBA preferred or whatever. So I didn't want that to be a barrier. So that was number one. And then number two, I really wanted to understand how does a business work so that then I can leverage technology to help them fulfill their vision. I never wanted to be in a position where I was just viewed as the quote unquote technical person to fix something. I wanted to position myself to be a business leader who understood technology and who could partner with my functional business partners to help execute things that are valuable to the business. And the reason for that is technology changes every, like every time you turn around, there's a new coding language, or there's a new way that we're doing um, systems engineering, you have AI, RPA, those things really are not new, because they we were talking about those things when I was an undergrad, quite frankly, but they've evolved. But business is is really the key, because you can have all this wonderful technology, and you can have this different language. But if you don't know how to leverage it to fit to, to solve a business problem, then you're just having a good time. <laughs> Right. You're just, you know, you're just working on your skills. So for me, the MBA was was really good because what it allowed me to do was to step back and say, let me really understand the business and how do how do they make decisions? Let me understand the business and let me and also network. Right. So, again, I was lucky enough. I at the time I was doing an evening MBA program because I was still working full time and I, I worked with people who were engineers and an energy company. I worked with attorneys. I worked with folks that were, I was in classes with folks that were accountants. So these are people that I work with every single day, but it was great to have them in the room because you had diversity of thought. None of us were alike. And so they helped shape the way that I thought about things, or at least I could question, this is the way I was taught in school, but this is really what happens in the real world. And they could provide their real world experience to just help me and then I also had a built-in network. So even after I graduated, if I had questions, if I was going to go work for an energy company, which I eventually did with GE, I could go and call a friend and say, hey, here's this, here's what I'm trying to solve. How do I translate this in a way that they understand what I'm trying to convey? And because he had been in that industry, he could give me the dictionary, if you will. And so the MBA is not just about the degree. It's really about you learning. So if you're going to go get an MBA just to go get an MBA, okay. But I think, again, it goes back to purpose. You should position yourself to learn. If it's something you, if you want to go this business track in tech, I think it helps you connect to the business. It positions you to have business related conversations versus what technology can do for them. Um, it also positions you for you to identify, because I do that in my current role, I can identify things that the business, our business functional teams may have not identified yet because I think the way they think. And then I also can also flip the switch and think the way my technologists think. Yeah. Did you get a specific focus, uh, go for a specific focus with your MBA? So I did management and leadership okay. um, and mainly because my undergrad was an MIS. Yeah. I was already you know, the computer business piece. That was important to me. So I really wanted to focus on the leadership and the management aspect of it. Because you, again, regardless if you're in technology or if you're in marketing or whatever, 
leadership is leadership is leadership. And when you're a good leader, it doesn't matter what you do. You know, it's all about getting people to follow you and yeah. to get them bought in. That is the hardest part of the job. It's not the coding. It's not some of these projects. If people won't follow you, then you're wait, you're just, you know, in the in the words of um John Maxwell, he says that if you're a leader and no one is following you, you're just taking a walk. Mm. So leadership very important. Good leadership. Absolutely. I mean, because just because a person is in a leadership position does not mean that they are a good leader or a great leader. Yes. It is being a great leader and understanding what the people need so that you can serve them so that they can then in turn serve the company. Absolutely. You mentioned, you talk a lot about leadership and you mentioned that you knew when you were in your under, doing your undergrad that you wanted to do the leadership track. I'm just curious, was this always something you wanted to do like even younger in grade school? Like, did you always want to be in a leadership position? And if not, what did you want to do? Actually, I I wanted to be an attorney. (laughs) I remember being a little girl and uh, I know this sounds kind of quirky, but really, you know, one, I love the, I love to debate. I love to get a different perspective um, I would watch all the like legal shows, so like Perry Mason, which is really old, black and white. But I would rather watch that than go outside and play. Mm. So I really, I really wanted to be an attorney. But cool story, my senior year in high school, I meet, uh, I take a, I think it was introduction to technology, and I take this class from a professor called uh, Mr. Lawson. He probably was about maybe five one, Jamaican descent who man who've come to the US. He had two degrees and one was in engineering and one was in information systems. And of course he asked me as well as the other students, what do we want to do when we grow up? And I remember telling him I wanted to be an attorney and he laughed and he said, the world will always have attorneys. The way to go is technology, right? Because then everything was still new, right? I remember even programming on green screens, right? So he really ingrained into me to really shift my focus and to look at what was what is what is the world today and what what do we think it's going to be? And it was the right advice. And I'm glad that I took it. But he shifted my perspective. Now, I may go back to law school. Um, That's something that I still want to do. But he's really the reason why I'm in technology today. Oh, awesome. Mr. Yeah, Lawson, of, shout out. Yeah, shout out to you, wherever no. you are. Yeah, a lot of people don't really realize like how impressionable teachers can be like early on, for oh, better yeah. or for worse. Oh, yeah. All you teachers out there, you have such an important job. Just keep doing with you, what you're doing. So, yeah, shout out to Mr. Lawson. Even if you don't think the students will listen. Yeah, absolutely. Like, just keep pouring because some of us do. <laughs> at some point anyways (laughs) yes so what is your why then i know you've you've definitely talked about your family is extremely important to you and Mm -hmm. maybe there's a couple of whys in terms of family versus career and how did you come across it like how did you figure out that that was your why great question so I will tell you that my why, and it's, it's, I have it on my board, is I was created to speak life and see opportunities to coach others to endless possibilities. And, you know, I view myself as a builder of men and women and to help them see themselves again beyond the seat that they occupy. And that shows up both professionally, personally, it's a part of, it's a fabric of my being. So I don't think I can really separate, you know, that view from home to being with friends to corporate. It's just a part of who I am. So for me, you know, I think we all have a purpose. We all have a call. I think one of the, one of the purposes you have is to really sit with yourself and evaluate who you really are, the good, the bad. I always say the round parts of you, as well as the edges and then really figure out what is your call? What wakes you up? What do you do so effortlessly that you don't even think about it, right? So for instance, I can be, my son, he laughs. He's like, oh God, here she goes again. I could be in, a, in literally in the drugstore in line and someone may you know, mention that they're struggling with something and I will offer up advice. I'll do it in love, right? I don't want to be invasive, but I always try to meet them in love. Um, and I operate that way effortlessly. That's just who I am. Every person I come into contact with, I see them greater than what 
they're doing right now, regardless of whether they see that or not. Um, and that shows up at my house. Like it probably drives my son crazy because I am pushing and saying, I see more, you can do more. Um, but doing more based off of what his ability is at a given time. And she's not, she's not lying, by the way. <laughs> We've been out and I, I, I say this all the time. Like Trina has never met a stranger. Like she's just so yeah personable, like her leadership skills and just interpersonal skills with people. It's just top notch. It's amazing. So yeah, I, I agree with Jonathan. Like you're, you're weird. You're like a genius when it comes <laughs> but to But in that. the best like, way possible. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I can, I can say that. I can say that as a relative. <laughs> Oh yeah, but you yeah. can motivate the wall exactly. <laughs> well, and, and I don't think it's just like motivation. I think people. I see people. I think I go back to the comment. Or I'm genuinely interested in your story and you, and I want to see you win. Right? I want you to succeed yeah. based off of your definition of success, and I genuinely care about people. Um, I think you know so many times we are so busy going from thing to thing and doing thing to thing that we don't see people. I remember one of the companies I worked for and there was this guy who was actually actually a coder, great guy, very quiet. And if you didn't pay attention to him in a meeting, you wouldn't know he was there because he was very introverted. And I remember sitting in a room with leaders and I knew he had great ideas, but nobody even noticed him. No one asked him anything. And one day I just decided to ask him a question. And of course, he like blew everybody away. We are walking around and, and we're dealing with people every single day where we don't see them. And not just seeing mm -hmm. them as a reflection of ourselves, but really seeing them for who they are. He was completely different from me, right? He didn't talk to people. He just kind of did his thing. He was under the radar. But just because you don't act like me and you don't talk like me and you're not as extroverted as me doesn't mean that you don't have value. If you're here, you have value. And if you're sitting in a room, you should have something to say. And, and we as leaders should create opportunities to bring you out of that so that we can leverage the value and, you know, the words and ideas that you have to that, that you have to say. So to me, this is not just about, you know, my purpose is not about my title. It's not about my position. I, I will leverage those things to influence and to help other people. But it's really about making sure that we see people because I also know what it feels like to be unseen, mm. yep. to be unheard, to be undervalued. I know what that feels like. And it's not good. It's not a good feeling. And companies lose out on value when they don't really see their people. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, that resonates a ton. Just... I, I feel like as a, a team lead currently, and I manage a team of eight people, everyone's so different. And I love that. And it helps me learn as a, a leader. And I'm inspired by them daily. And I'm learning something new daily from them and, and really being mindful and more proactive of their unique individual needs and just how they work. And I, we've been doing some Enneagram and Myers-Briggs workshops at work and they've been so fun to see just how different people are and like those dynamics and in terms of like how you communicate with one another where somebody is completely different from you and how, what is the best way that they may receive feedback or, or communicate just general day-to-day -day, and it's been really mm -hmm. interesting diving into some of that stuff and I think it it takes a great leader to recognize and and give a voice to those that that may not naturally speak up and and be outward with their their ideas and opinions absolutely what piece of career advice would you give women who are working in the tech industry or any industry and you know as far as that goes, but I know you can speak specifically as it relates to the tech industry. What piece of advice would you give? Mm. You know, so here, here's what I, what I believe. I believe that you need to really spend time. And I know, you know, we talk about career progression and, and rising through the ranks, but I think the best thing you can do for yourself is really get to know who you are and really assess what you like, what you don't like. And, and that means the types of work you like to do, the types of people you like to work with, the types of environments that work well with you, right, for you, the types of leaders that you want, 
right, that you feel comfortable with. I think we really need to take a step back instead of jumping into programs, instead of, you know, working on the next job and trying to hurry up and getting a new skill and all these things. I really think we have to take some time to come back to who am I and what do I want? Who am I? What skills do I have? And what is it that I want? Right. And, you know, I, I, I'll give you guys this. So when I'm coaching clients, there's a homework assignment I have them do. And I will ask them to go and find, you know, if their parents are still living, they have siblings, girlfriend, boyfriend, or just, you know, a circle of really close friends, go out and ask them, what are you good at, right? And not your job, but what are you naturally good at that you don't even probably think you do? So again, you know, Lynn talked about, you know, my ability to connect with people. I didn't even know that that was something that I was good at or I just didn't identify it as a gift because that was just a part of who I am. But the people that are closest to you can see your greatness and the things that you have inside of you. And so you get that perspective. And then you write down, what do I want? What types of environments do I want? What type of work do I want to do? You know, what types of companies, right, that I want to align myself with? And then you look at both of those perspectives and figure out what type, what's the role right? What's the role? So for instance, I probably will, I will, again, as I stated before, I probably will never be a coder. Doesn't mean I can't code. I can, but my makeup and what I'm good at doesn't align to that. It aligns more to leading people in programs and projects and really connecting with the functional teams and our customers, right? And so once I understand that, then that puts me in a better position so that if I see roles or people come to me with roles, I can say yes or I can say no. And you have to understand, again, what are you willing to what are you willing to do to get what you want? So, for instance, you've determined what your, your gifts and talents are. You understand that, hey, th- this is the type of organization I, I, I want to work in and types of leaders I want to work for. There's another opportunity. Yeah, I can go up a level. I'll make more money, but they're going to ask me to do something that I really hate. Could I live with that for 18 months? Because I need to pay off my student loans or because I want to go and invest in a piece of rental property, investment property, or I need to take care of a parent. Right. So you may make the decision. Yep, I'll suffer through it for 18 months. But I know that other types of roles I want to align myself with in order for me to go find my happy. Right. Or you may say, you know what? My job is my job. Since I'm passionate about people, I'm going to go start a side business and start a consulting company because I know my company can only satisfy the financial need I have. Right. And growth. But there are these other things that I'm really passionate about. And the company isn't in alignment with that. So you go find that somewhere else um, or you go do volunteer work or you go sit on a board at a, for community outreach. But before you're able to do any of that, you really know who need to know who you are. <laughs> because again, I, I've seen so many people um, along my journey where they have these high-ranking jobs or even lower-ranking jobs, and they hate their jobs. They don't like because they're out of alignment, right? They are not in the right position. They are good at what they do. They put on a great face. But they are suffering because the very thing they were called to do, they're not able to do it in their job. And they haven't taken the time to take a step back to figure out how do they go do that somewhere else? Because sometimes your job won't fulfill everything. That's not that's not the job. The job is they pay you for a service. You give them a service. And if they're not filling your cup at your job, if you're not feeling inspired or whatever, then you have to go find outlets somewhere else. And you have to take the time to be willing to do that. And that's not about your mom. That's not about your dad. That's not about your friends and them telling what telling you what they think you should do. That's purely about you and your happiness and what do you want for yourself. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Definitely. I think a lot of us kind of struggle with that in terms of making hard decisions in terms of that next move. Because like you said, it might be, you know, to fulfill something more immediate, you know, it, even in this day and age, just paying your bills. I mean, so many people are, are out of work mm-hmm. and, you know, they're just looking for something to um, to pay the bills. So I can completely understand it from that perspective, but not necessarily to look for those roles and those jobs to make you happy. But you also should 
I think it's like this along the same lines as when you're in a relationship, right? When you're in a relationship with someone, you, you shouldn't look for that person to complete you. I hate when people say that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, yep. it's, the, it's, yeah. it's the same concept. You know, the job is a relationship, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's a that's a, a great point. Yes. So homework assignment for everyone listening. Go ask your close friends and family what you are naturally yeah. good at. And yeah. that's Trina's homework assignment, y'all. So <laughs> I'm going to do the same thing. I'm actually really curious what they say. And uh, I'll definitely have to share share on my LinkedIn or something. Yes, great advice. Do. Great advice. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and then almost final question, but how do you choose to live life authentically. And I think this kind of mm. kind of plays into the last last one a little bit, but to you, yeah, how do you how do you show up authentically every day? Yeah, so again, I I think it you're right. It goes back to first me understanding who I am. And let me actually let me let me just pause just for a second. So, this whole notion of authenticity, let let's level set on what that really means. <laughs> um, I think, you know, when people valid and valid. Yeah, so when people <laughs> say I want to be my authentic self, you know, I think you know, what most people think is you take all of me from, you know, me having a bad day to me having a good day. I'm a person that's very blunt that you accept my communication style that way. I want to wear my hair a certain way. I have certain thoughts. Um, I just get to bring, quote unquote, my full self <laughs> to work or into any relationship. Right. And, and I think that we have to be honest about where we are and what that really means in different places. So he, here, here's an example. The way I show up with my mother when I go with her to church is different than the way I show up when I'm hanging out with my girlfriends and we're going out for dinner. The way my attire is, you know, the types of conversations that I have with my mother uh, is going to be different than the types of conversations that I have with my girlfriends, right? It doesn't mean that Trina didn't show up she's being authentic in both places, but she's also adjusting and adapting and being discerning about what she says and how she says it, because every place has a norm. The core of who I am, my core values didn't change. From a corporate perspective, you know, the way I communicate, you know, and and Brie, you talked about your team, you have a team of eight, the way you may communicate or the way I communicate with the Lynn may be different than the way I need to communicate that same thing to Bobby. Doesn't mean that I'm not being authentic in the conversation. I am, but I have to translate so that they can understand it. And so this whole notion of authenticity, I think, you know, we have to make sure that we're reading the room and understand, you know, how do we show up? And I'm going to call it one of my, my mentors, Dr. Kim Harris, who's an amazing executive coach. She, you know, she introduced this notion of refined authenticity. And what that means is you read the room and you still are the core of who you are, but you have to be able to translate and show up in a way that people get it. I'm not leaving my black experience outside of the room when I walk into the room. When George Floyd situation happened last year, uh, I had a team meeting and uh, we had a conversation about it, right? I didn't leave part of that experience out of the conversation, but the way that I handled that conversation would have looked a little differently than the conversation I may have had with, with Lynn, because there's a different relationship. There's a different level of intimacy. There's a different, different space. Right. And so when we, when we, as women, um, I, I think we, you know, you need to know number one, who you are, you need to understand the culture and the environment that you're working in, because every environment is not the same, right? I think we've seen that, especially over this past year, especially in corporate, right? Each each company handles things differently. But more importantly, you need to be able to read the room and understand how to make sure that you are bringing yourself where you need to be, but you are you are conscious and discerning about how you show up. Because again, the conversations I'm able to have with Lynn and her being a black woman with a black son, me being a black mother, mother and her also having a, a black husband, um, me being a black woman with a black son and a black husband, that conversation is just going to look a little different 
than it would be if I'm having a conversation with my team. Now, um, I know we talked. A, I know we, we've talked a lot about this off air. Mm-hmm. You brought up a good point because I've struggled with that in terms of what that conversation looks like at the dinner table, which obviously mm-hmm. when you're talking with you know more of those intimate circles about race specifically, mm-hmm. and then having those conversations at work. Obviously, everything's always done in good taste and being respectful. But I feel mm-hmm. like if we're not being all of ourselves or authentic as 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 authentic as we can be about issues of race, then I don't know. I I kind of feel like do we ever really get any, anywhere? Like if our if our white counterpart is having different conversations at the dinner table, which we know many of them have, and they've many people have admitted to that. The whether they communicate with their friends is different, and then when they show up at work. That's different. And that can actually be detrimental mm-hmm. to someone's career growth, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I don't know. I'm struggling with that one, that point. Yeah. So so let me let me add a little bit more, maybe context. So so here's the thing. Look, when you're dealing with race, religion, you know, those quote unquote, you know, as we deem taboo things in the corporate space, again, I think you have to be discerning about your culture. There are some cultures and companies that I've worked for where I knew that I I could not lead a conversation on race. However, I could develop relationships, because I go back to that, with people who would bring me in a room and to the table where I could provide a perspective. And I do not speak for all Black women, <laughs> but Trina's perspective, right, on my own experience. There are other cultures, and I have been fortunate enough to, to work with um, one of those companies where there are spaces where we can have dialogue and have a conversation. But Lynn, I really gonna, I'm really going to go back to, regardless of whether the organization creates those spaces or not from a structural perspective, I think, again, it goes back to relationship. Mm-hmm. Because here is the thing. In every company I've worked for, I've dealt with, you know, look, we're, we're dealing with microaggressions, whether you're a woman, whether you are a woman of color, you're going to deal with some level of microaggression uh, in our country today, right? I mean, that's just, it is a part of being. And, you know, the, you, you, I can't change the color of my skin. I cannot change my gender, um, nor do I want to, because I believe that God created me this way for a purpose. But what I can do is I can connect with people. And what I found over the years is that, again, once I have relationships with people that may not look like me, may have a completely different view of my politics, may have a completely different view even of the George Floyd situation, that we can have com- we can have dialogue. We don't have to agree. Yeah, absolutely. But we must be respectful and create space where we can at least dialogue about it, right? We still may walk away and dis- disagree with one another. But there's learning even in the bantering, the respectful bantering. And so I think it's still pressed upon us to grab a coffee with somebody that, you know, a virtual coffee with someone that may not think like you, right? You know, we talk about diversity, right? And a lot of times people are looking at color, race, et cetera. And and those things are very important. But diversity of thought is also important. You don't always have to hang out with people that think like you. You don't grow that way. You go find some people that challenge you and and I'm not saying you're going to, quote unquote, fix them and they're going to, quote unquote, fix you because you are perfect as you are. But there is a different perspective that you can you can gain. And then you leverage that. Right. So that when you are in these spaces and you have a seat at the table and you have influence, then you know how to influence. And you also know not only to come to them with the happy path but you also provide us a, a perspective for those that are not going to be happy about the path, right. That's been laid before. And how do we bring them along so that they don't feel excluded? Yeah, absolutely. Did that answer your question? Yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. Obviously always being respectful, but I guess you have to really strike that balance. And like you said, read the room. And sometimes we yeah. realize in our career and, and in the workplace that sometimes those you might come to the realization that that space is just not for you. Mm-hmm. That's a hard pill to swallow sometimes. You know, that, like you said before, that your interests and your personal interests and ethos are just not aligned with the companies. And then obviously you have to make a decision based on what you can do. That's right. But sometimes we, we come to that realization that this is just not the place for me, you know? That's right. But at the end of the day, yeah, absolutely reading the room and, and navigating that space where you see fit and where you see 
where you're comfortable, I should say. Right. And and loving people Absolutely. where they are. Like, I, I mean, you know, again, I, <laughs> I have probably dealt with some of the most, you know, luckily enough in my career, I've dealt with the sexism, the racism, any kind of isms. Um, and, and the people haven't always been nice. But what I found is I don't have to treat them the way that they treat me. I still require respect. When I operate in a level of love and into me leading with that, then they will change over time because we are still dealing with people, right? We, we, we are people who are in positions that have work to do, but we, when they come into the room, they're bringing their history with them. When I come into the room, I'm bringing my history with, with me. And if I operate in love and try to connect with them, then I've found that, you know, I've seen time and time again where I've been able to win people over and not win them over where they may be coming over to hang out at my house, but winning them <laughs> over to where there is a level of respect and regard, even if we disagree. Do you think you're changing their minds at all? Or is that even the goal? I don't, you know, I'm, I don't want to change your mind. I want to change your heart. I don't want to change your mind. I want to change your heart. And and I and I I, I want to love you where you are, so that again I still want you to win. And if I love you, even if you are disrespectful, even if you have used a r- racial slur, even if I know you don't want me to have a promotion or you don't want to position me for greatness, right, or leverage your political capital to help me, even if I don't see it, you know, because you sometimes you still know it's happening. I'm still going to love you and forgive you because a lot of times you don't know any better. And so my call where I sit is to be an example. And sometimes I see the fruit of that labor and sometimes I may not. But if I can, if I can model godly leadership and love, then I'm doing my job. It's not my job to fix you. That's not my job. Absolutely. My job is to love you and to counsel you and to support you and to see you win whatever way you deem winning is where you are. That's my job. Yeah, it's definitely not your job to fix. And I think even as women of color um, and women, you know, because they're mm-hmm. even if you're not a woman of color, just being a woman, there's the level of sexism. Right. Yep. But from our perspective, also, there's this. Sometimes we come into, I feel like we come into situations sometimes feeling like that we need to fix and then fix someone, right? And then mm-hmm. the plight of an African-American woman or just an African-American sometimes is always the burden on us, right? It's always the yes. burden on the oppressor, whatever the situation is, to come in and, and be the one to understand and fix the situation. And I don't know, I don't, I don't really have... I definitely agree with you on so many levels. I just think there's a piece and I'm just being completely honest, right? This, this mm-hmm. is women unfiltered. I just, I'm just struggling with being that person to, to do that. I have no interest. I, I just kind of, and maybe it's the climate these days mm-hmm. um, with just how everything's going, but workplace or not, I just kind of feel like if you're in that space where you are, you know, there are biases, biases there and whether it's, it's race or sex or whatnot, I'm not going to say like, you can't come back from that. I feel like people make mistakes, right? Right. I just have no interest in being the one to hold your hand and, and waiting for your heart to change in some way. Yeah. I don't know. I'm struggling with that one. I can, I can admit to that. So, so yeah. And, and look, and it's okay. I think there are peaks and valleys with all of us where we think, you know what, I'm really, I really feel called to do X in the company um, or even externally in our communities, right? That may not accept "quote unquote" us for who we are. You ha- you have to be in the right spirit, in the right place to do that work. Mm-hmm. There are times, look, I'm human, where I'm like, you know what? I don't have the capacity for grace today, <laughs> and I know myself well enough to know that I don't have the extra capacity for grace. So I need to go and steal away, right? Going back to prioritization of where I spend my time and how I spend my energy, I need to reprioritize and I do that. But the thing, you know, Lynn, what I'll say is this, is that, you know, I I think, you know, what you've said is what a lot of people were saying last year as well as this year, especially people of colors. I don't want, I, I don't want to hold your hand for my healing, right? You hurt me. It's exhausting. Right. It is exhausting. And, and I think each of us, Everyone has their own 
call in this season to impact where they are. Everyone isn't going to go out and, and march in the streets. That's not everyone's call. Everyone won't start up a VC that's focused on black and brown founders, right? Everyone won't give millions of dollars to uh, HBCUs or other black and brown universities or organizations. Everyone won't do that. And so what I think each of us is called to do is to do what we are supposed to do. So let me give you an example. I have a neighbor. He is of Indian descent. He lives right across the street from us. At the height of Black Lives Matter protesting here in Atlanta, this young man did not call my son. He did not ring our doorbell. His mother did not call us. He simply took a one crayon, one marker, I mean, chalk marker. And he simply wrote in his driveway, Black Lives Matter. We must support each other. Okay. He's about maybe 14, 15 years old. No, he's not going to go out and march. No, he's not going to give millions of dollars to nonprofits. No, he's not going to start up a VC, but he used what was in his hands. And so we, as a people, and that's not black, white, that is a human. We are called to use what is in our hands. We are called to leverage our influence in a way that we help other people. So what that looks like, even for me, and this is not just about black, white, it means that, hey, if I'm in a room and Bree and I are the only two women in the room and I know she's pitching something out and there's seven men and I know they always cut her off and they talk over her and they question her 50 times over with her idea that I have her back. So not only do I have her back in the meeting, I also leverage my influence with the relationships that I have in the room with her, with the men. And I go and talk about how great she is and her ideas and help pitch before the meeting. I can do that. That's what's in my hands, right? That's not me marching. When I, when I think about black women or, or black men or brown people in general, if I'm in, a, in the room and we're talking about talent and someone says, well, Lynn is too direct. I think she's too aggressive. You know, you and I have heard those words before. She's too aggressive. She's too direct in her communication. I can then say, well, wait a minute. So give me an example of what you mean by that. Let them give me the example. Okay, so Bobby communicates probably a little bit more direct than she does, but we're not viewing Bobby the same way. Why is that, right? And then there may be some additional conversations about, listen, when she, listen, when, her, when she was coming up, her mother was very direct with her. That's cultural. <laughs> so that's how that's her communication style. So we're not going to hold her back just because you don't she doesn't communicate the way you communicate or the way you were brought up. That is how we drive change. Absolutely. Yes. It's giving and it's also giving you a seat at the table where if I have a, a opportunity to pull a seat up and bring a person that looks like me into the room that I do it or bring a person that doesn't look like me that's in the room to give them an opportunity that I do it. We cannot change from the outside. We have to change what's in the inside. Yeah. And if we don't bring you into the process, then it's going to be harder to change the hearts of people. Well put. And I think that's what this podcast is really, I mean, I feel so empowered like from the, these conversations today and inspired. And I have no doubt that listeners will feel the same way. And that is what that's what I want. That's what I want these conversations to happen. And I want people that look like me to hear them from like, mm -hmm. especially like Lynn's perspective. And, and that is like, we have this really diverse group of listeners, hopefully as our, <laughs> our podcast starts to, to take yeah. up, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and these are the discussions that maybe aren't happening at the, at the dinner table because mm -hmm. maybe they just don't have, that ability, you know, at home to mm -hmm. to have those discussions, especially during like COVID and a pandemic when you're really just surrounded by the, your immediate family and uh, or no one, honestly, at that right. at that matter. And and at work, too, those those conversations aren't always easily had over a call. So mm -hmm. people can opt in to listen to these things and hopefully get something out of it and hopefully it changes their hearts and opens them to loving and accepting others that don't look like them and 
it's giving me all the feels. I've got goosebumps now, y'all. So <laughs> uh, anything else, Lynn or, or Trina? I think that's it for me. Trina, do you have anything else that you, how, I, I know what we should, uh, we should talk about. How can our listeners find you? Yes. And keep up with uh, the things that you're working on. Yes. So um, I am on LinkedIn. I am listed as Trina L. Hill. And then there's a plethora of uh, letters behind my name with certifications and my MBA. Um, I'm also on Instagram called my tagline is only Trina L. Hill. Um, and I also have a website. It's uh, Trina L. Hill dot com. And uh, listen, li- you know, people definitely reach out to me. I, you know, I think we all need to have people in our lives that are not, they don't have to agree with us, but they're not going to judge us when we ask questions that are uncomfortable, yep. right? Um, right? We all need a soft place to land. And I think that it's important that that we continue to create space and operate in love. I think, you know, as we go into, you know, 2021, it's important for us to model love and support. We're We've all gone through a lot. Everybody's walk is different, but we need to use what's in our hands, that is how we drive change, not only for ourselves, but for the next generations to come, because we are responsible for what they live. Absolutely. As those that have come before us are responsible for what we are living and dealing with today, whether it be good or bad, but we are responsible and we are responsible and we should be setting them up for success and not having them repeat the same thing over and over and over again so that we can continue to progress as, as human beings in our country. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better. All right, y'all. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of Women Unfiltered. Until next time, remember to be true to yourselves, your authentic selves, every damn day. Thank you for tuning into the Women Unfiltered podcast. Follow us on Instagram at women.unfiltered and stay up to date with new episodes and show notes at womenunfiltered.wtf. Don't forget to like, subscribe, review, and share this podcast with a friend. As always, our views and opinions expressed are our own and solely for informational and entertainment purposes and do not express those of our employers.